Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Previously on the 3B3 Podcast, I posted a long-winded question that the would the rise of a the eventual rise of a women's professional league start diminishing the impact of the international stages, the sort of primary focal point for women's hockey as it's been all these years. Because, you know, like I was saying, in my perspective is, is that outside of the Olympics, when the pros started going, all the other male tournaments um, have really just become an afterthought outside of the juniors, you know, at, at the professional level, they're all just sort of an afterthought. They hardly get any coverage. You know, they, they tend to also be run during the Stanley cup playoffs. So nobody pays attention to them. So as the, that international competition in women's hockey has been the driving force for the growth of women's hockey. Does that start to take a step back when the professional league starts becoming more of the forefront? So I have two answers to this. Um, one, it depends on what we were talking about last episode, whether they, if the NHL is running things, if it, they do a summer league instead of overlapping with the NHL. And if they do go summer, then I don't think so. But it also depends on how much TV or um, online coverage there is of any women's professional sports. Because um, if they're not getting a lot of, like, coverage, then, I mean, online or on TV, then it doesn't really make a difference, I don't think. I think what we could see is kind of the death of the U.S.-Canada rivalry as we know it. Only because, so for so long, up until probably the last two seasons... The U.S. team and the Canadian team have kept themselves so separate, you know. Once the NWHL established themselves, that seemed to be the go-to spot for the U.S. women's players. And then, you know, CWHL was the go-to spot, obviously, for the Canadian team. Mm -hmm. A, A uniform league that sees them intermingled, I think, will... Hopefully, I don't want to say diminish that rivalry, but it's just it's an annual event that U.S. and and Canada typically play. So so Um, it kind of becomes more like the Olympics. It does. In men's. okay. Yeah. the, The I think the world championships probably takes a major step back until it's. I think we're almost to the point where it's more than just a, you know. Two team tournament. Two teams competing for gold and maybe four teams competing for a medal. Once there's like a good rotation of six or seven teams that are, you know, competitive in in a true quarterfinal matchup um, and also bringing their players into a, you know, top tier women's professional league in North America, um, I think things change. Yeah, and that's kind of where my I was sort of leaning to it's I, I mean it's not going to happen overnight obviously it'll it'll take some time and I think once the um, 
once the eventual women's professional league, the unified league, whatever we want to call it, becomes the the destination for more international players to come over, um, I think that'll probably, I don't know, I think it might actually start helping the growth of games back in those areas as well. I mean, we're we're starting to see a lot more growth in Finland and Russia and even England in women's hockey. I, so I I kind of hate to see that international tournament go by the by the wayside so to speak, but I think having a professional league sort of central where, you know, the best the best female players from England can come over and and you know, show their stuff on a, on a on a consistent professional stage against their against the best of the best, so to speak. It'll it'll probably start doing a little bit more for growth. I think it depends um, because from a from an individual perspective, there'll be more women who are more likely to pursue hockey if they can play professionally, and because the talent pool is so thin right now. A lot of a lot more women will have that opportunity than they will down the road. However, um, international competition is what uh, national teams and development programs all get money for. So, on a larger scale, I, I mean, I, I USA Hockey, for example, they do actually they are inter intertwined with amateur hockey all over, including women's hockey. But I don't know if that's the case in Russia. I mean, Russia might just be, okay, national team only, and if you're going to go play pro, then we can't help you. Mm. So. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, the, the, the individual federations are always are always weird about how they manage growth and and bringing up through the the various programs, even on the men's side, they're a little chaotic in some countries. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how those are all set up. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, of course, no one wants to see talent leaving their country for another country. So, you know, we may not see, or we may, not see Russian players play professionally here because Russia will suddenly think, oh, well, we need a women's professional league too. And, uh, you know, just from the competitive side. But, it's yeah, it's so hard to say how that's all going to play out. Yeah, I mean, they do have... Um... I thought Russia... Actually, I'm pretty sure Russia does have a women's league i don't know what its structure is in comparison and how professional it is um but i want i, I kind of wondering if that might you know if that league over there ends up being the khl to the nhl right and it'll just be the w you know the wkhl or, or whatever it is hang on i'm gonna go i'm gonna do something live Okay, it's called the it is called the Women's Hockey League in Russia. Okay. So there is one. And it looks like it's been around for quite a while. I see I thought I I thought I'd remember hearing about one. So uh, to but 
going back to your point, yeah, I, I don't think that some of those countries are going to want to see their top talent leave. But I think in other cases, they might be like, please go. Yeah, so make our national team better. Go play with other people. It's, it's, well, that exactly. You know, go go over there and gain knowledge and contacts and then come back with both those things. Right. And then the federations themselves can actually save money as far as training during, you know, certain portions of the year, too. So maybe they, you know, reinvest in different areas. So it could be a win-win. It could be, well, I trust USA Hockey about as much as I trust the NHL. So. <laughs> well, I'm also thinking that, you know, it's it's the whole, you, you look at the growth of Swiss and German hockey over the last 20 years the quality of players that they're exporting has gone up. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, you get those one or two guys that come over here and they become sort of news, you know, like, like Uwe crew, you know, winning the Stanley cup with, with Colorado became news back in Germany. And the next thing, you know, a couple of more kids might start playing. So the Federation in turn, you know, in those countries where they don't have, you know, it's not ingrained in society like it is in Canada or in the ice belt in the U.S. You start seeing growth in those areas. And so I'm kind of hoping that that happens with the women. So maybe it, it you know, the growth that we've seen in the, in the past 10 years alone in, in women's hockey and the quality from other countries actually starts, you know, the, that rate of increase starts climbing a little bit higher. You know, I really hate to say it. And, and I'm going to have to say it is that if the NHL ends up forming their own league, that name recognition will go far in um, bringing women overseas to play professionally. Yeah, that's kind of what I was. That's kind of what I was leaning towards. I mean, if it's just the NWHL that survives and grows, it it'd be nice to a certain degree, but it also wouldn't have that cachet. Right. But, you know, it's it's also problematic because it's the NHL. So <laughs> and being yeah. who they are. <laughs> as great as their infrastructure is, they also have a hockey operations department that yeah. we're not so keen with. <laughs> that could improve. Yeah, I just, like I continue to say, I just hope they get, you know, they... They set it up as almost like a uh, an, an independent entity that sort of shares some of the marketing and 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 lower level infrastructure and the upper level echelon type stuff like operations and commissioner and those types of things are are separate. They're partnered, but they're separate, so that they have their own chance to screw up. <laughs> Instead of just letting the NHL do it for them constantly, hmm. keeping as many, yeah, keeping as many former players and Colin Campbell as way away as possible. Although There's... the downside to that is, <laughs> is that the women may sh- prove like if you have if you have former women hockey players like Cassie Campbell and Haley Wickenheiser and all of, of those running this league, they may prove to be better administrators than who's currently running the NHL and that might make them look bad which I'm totally fine with 
hell, I, I'd actually love it at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Because I'm I, just saying that the NHL might have some complaints about that. Well, <laughs> making I, us look bad. And, and I'm totally fine with that. I would love the pressure to put on there and, and, and for someone to say, okay, you know, when Batman does retire, um, instead of just another stuffy old white guy in a suit, let's bring over the commissioners run the WNHL. Yeah. Because she's done a better job. Or, you know, the, the vice president of hockey ops or whatever they want to call themselves. Whoever's in Colin Campbell's position or Bill Daly's position. Or maybe Daly gets, you know, elevated to commissioner and he brings, you know, one of them over. I don't know. I just, I, I hate saying it because I'm going to sound like a prototypical, you know, guy who's like, I'm all for female equality, but I want it simply because I want the chaos. And by chaos, I mean the game needs a kick in the butt to get out of some of its behaviors to grow. And that that's both in the women's and men's side. And the only way it's going to happen is by diversity of opinion. And you're not going to get that with 40 white guys. Not in the NHL. No. Or not out of the 200 hockey men. <laughs> would be interesting to see is, so in my fictitious, you know, idealistic world, how many how many female executives from like the AHL or the ECHL or shoot even you know junior leagues will get pulled in and because my mind immediately goes to uh, the Charlotte Checkers, Kane's AHL affiliate. Um, their COO is named Tara Black. She she's been with the franchise since I believe two thousand six, um, running it transitioning it from an ECHL franchise to an AHL franchise. And she's regularly um, receives acclaims from not just, you know, sporting groups, but also local Charlotte, North Carolina business groups as well, because, you know, being a minor league team, it, it takes a completely different strategy and effort to execute, you know, anything than it does say, you know, your four to five major sports, depending upon where you live. So I could, if I were, you know, say, and I would never want to be in this position, but if I were to advise a commissioner, let's say, I'm not going to say I, I should ever be the commissioner of Lee, but if I were to advise a commissioner and tell her, this was someone I would target to be your Bill Daly or your, you know, this is a person that should run all your operations at a league level, or at least this is a person you want to spearhead an individual franchise if you were buying into something. And I just wonder how many of those individuals out there could be, you know, taken from other teams. I just wonder how many of them are out there. <laughs> that That's the other thing. I mean, I just happen to have firsthand knowledge of this one individual, and I know there's more than that, but... They're not household names. Just like, you know, coaches that have run through the two leagues up until this point, they were never household names. You know, maybe a GM here or there. Mm -hmm. So it, it'll be, be interesting to see, but hopefully there is a untapped talent pool just waiting to impress us all. I, yeah, I 
I mean, I would obviously they'll they'll do their damnedest to keep them in the women's side of hockey, but I just hope to Hades that at some point that that crossover starts happening. No, you know what? As long as it, if the women running, let's say there's a WNHL, if if there are women running the WNHL and they are like taking it and and running with it and making it something like great and wonderful and important and well run the nhl is going to be looking around going well we look like assholes <laughs> i i don't think they have that sort of um, self awareness yeah i really don't I, nor do that, i think they care yeah, well yeah I, I mean it may turn out to be a a well that's women we're different because we're men kind of thing, I guess, yeah. but there's, there's a difference in the games. They're not the same. And, th- but then in turn, there is a quote unquote proving ground. That's probably not any different than other things out there that women are doing to say, okay, these coaches now, now we can bring them in because, because of our close association with this league we have more insight on these people, you know, the 200 hockey men actually know them. Um, and as the, and as those 200 hockey men are, you know, slowly go by the wayside in the game, you know, they're replaced by some of these individuals and vice versa. I mean, it'd be nice to see. I've always thought if I were to, or when I get back into coaching, as my kids start to grow up, if it ever gets to a point, um, I would rather coach with women's teams where I'm just an assistant helping out rather than running some boys team or hopefully, you know, we see more mixed teams at, at youth levels. Um, just cause I think there's so much room for improvement and I think it'd be a little more fun than coaching boys. Cause I have to deal with them all day. well let me just give you the heads up that that uh the girls teams can create a whole lot of internal drama (laughs) Um, boys teams can too but i'm just saying that i'm sure you know there there can be that aspect but on the other hand they also and, and a lot of it is because you know as we've talked about in previous episodes that that Girls are not taught to conform, so they're just doing their own thing. And so that aspect is a lot of fun, but the, you know, that can also be very frustrating and cause a lot of drama. So it just depends on how that, the the combination of girls that you have. (laughs) Yes, I actually did coach a um, women's team up here for half a season with a buddy of mine before I had to leave because I couldn't, I couldn't make the schedule work anymore. yeah, it was definitely it was definitely different. It was there there was a little bit more politicking involved. Yes. But I mean, you know, if you're if that doesn't bother you and you're good at that, I mean, it can be a very it can be a very refreshing change from just having a group of boys that will do automatically what you want them to, you know. <laughs> oh, I I absolutely loved every minute of it because they were fun and and it was it was a league that ranged from pretty much beginner to 
intermediate, close to advanced players. Um, and so that I, I think that changed the attitude a little bit because they were just wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. They were wanting to, to understand how to play. And, and, but when they, when they, the Canadian women would come down and, and play games, that was, yeah. Watching, watching how their bench, the Canadian women's benches were and hearing some of the stuff that went on over there. Yeah. that's a whole different it's a whole different world ball of wax oh yeah yes it is but yeah so it it, it's a different that was basically just the just you know it's a um it's a different experience (laughs) not necessarily bad not necessarily good it's just different well, if there's one sport that needs a little bit of different, it is hockey. So, right. that's that's why I keep saying it's I, I it's chaos. It's it's chaos in a good way. You know, evolution comes from that sort of disruption of the the norm, and the only way that's going to happen is if you throw something in the pool and disturb the water. Oh yeah. And yeah. And the thing is, I mean, going back to to uh, what was being said earlier about, you know, the women will get, if there's a, um, you know, WNHL and, and the women will get more visibility from, you know, the 200 hockey men, it's still going to come down to um, players like, you know, who whose brothers have played in the NHL, like, you know, Cami Granado or that sort of thing, or, you know, it's still going to be that, that edge of nepotism going on there because they can't help themselves. Yeah. It's, they'll always have to ensure that they point out the relationship of the women. And that's almost as if it's justification for why they're so good. Mm hmm. Oh, no, it is total justification. Yeah. It's, it's the, oh, you know, well, I mean, just imagine for a moment because it will be happening. Sydney Crosby's sister, Taylor playing for the Canadian women's national team. Do you think they're actually going to be talking about her? Oh, Lord, no. As a player and how she does? No, it's going to be, this is what Sid taught her. This is what Sid did with her. This is, you know, it's going to be all about Sid and and how she's related to him and how he did for her instead of how she accomplished for herself. So. Yeah. yeah, because women can't apparently do anything without men. <laughs> no. Jesus. Well, men men are what make women important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I'll still always refer to him as Penny Alexiak's brother. Because let's be <laughs> honest, in that sibling pair, who is the accomplished one? <laughs> this is true. I mean, yeah, Phil Kessel. There is a, there's a reason why Amanda Kessel's nickname is Best Kessel. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's true. It's Best and most likable Kessel, let's be honest. I mean, you know, he admittedly, he candidly said she's the best hockey player in the family. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's hilarious that that's now her nickname, but. She's earned it. Well, yeah. 
Although her coming back from being out for a year because of a concussion is kind of one of those questionable things. But hey, whatever, right? Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. The whole concussion stuff because... Women are just as stupid about it as men. Actually, women get concussions more often than men. You know, that's what my that's what my doctor it's what the doctor told my wife when she had one. Um, she got it from horse riding, but and it wasn't like a massive jaunt to the head. It was the body shock. Mm-hmm. So there are two caused it. So there are two reasons, or I think we've talked about this before, but there are a couple of reasons for that. One, women are more likely to report them than men are. Yeah. Um, and two, uh, men have more muscle surrounding their neck than women do. So that that's part of the reason why they're more prone to it. Yeah, the the that jarring effect, regardless of whether it's a hit to the head or a hit to the body, it's that it's that rotational force from whatever the point of origin is. So I just oh god, listening to to Batman continue to dance around and infer that there's no direct link between CTE and and multiple Fine. concussions is just it's Fred Astarian type dancing. <laughs> You know, he, he, great legal counsel, but I think his, the net positives he's done far outweigh his negatives, but he's just proving that the game's in a place where they no longer need a lawyer in charge. Like his pedigree, his background, same with Adam Silver of the NBA. It's, we need to draw from a different, uh, pool of experience because they're just it's just not they, they should not be the front and center of a league dealing with you know legal issues their public awareness needs to be more important than covering their own asses you to be more of a PR person than a legal person. Is that what you're saying? More of a people person than a legal <laughs> person. I mean, forget public relations because, I mean, even then, I think the league would, is a bit clueless on that regard. Um, but it just needs to be someone that understands the dynamic between your customers, your growing field base, what your future um, – fan bases or customer bases, you know, why it's important to actually invest and protect former players, because I'm sure they can be a potential source of revenue down the road, as opposed to, you know, you're now a washed up asset. Yeah. Well, taking the legal position that the league has to, to protect themselves and then making that the front and center of their their PR campaign just, you know, they don't give a shit about the players. Uh, it, there's no other way I can phrase that, unfortunately. Yeah, that's just... I they've never been good at marketing the individuals in the game. And, that's, and, and, and that sort of ties back in of why I'm really leery of them running the WNHL. 
because they should be. They should be putting the women, the individual women out front as much as they can and not just one or two. You know, the only players that they religiously market in the NHL currently are still who? Ovechkin and Crosby, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even their non-existent rivalry. Right. Even McDavid in the States, at least, does not get the same um, uh, level of in your face that Crosby and Ovechkin still do. When the All-Star game brings in one representative from each team, which I do believe that they should do that, it should not be the first opportunity people are learning about an individual from a team on an opposite coast that they don't get to see at all. You should know every individual in the game. If Even as a, oh, I've heard the name before. You may not know much about them outside of, you know, a stat line, but you should be aware of who they are. It should not be, oh, this so-and-so player gets in by default because this team needs forwards and your team only has one good forward. Well, it's it should be, oh, He's been doing this well this season. Of course, he's the the Ozan candidate from this team to go. Yeah, but that's actually like being reasonable. We know the NHL has problems with being reasonable. <laughs> because it conforms to more than what 200 people want. Because it, it, they have to think. It's yeah. not automatic. It's not tradition it's not what things have always been or what they think things have always been probably more accurately but they have to actually sit there and think about what they're doing and the repercussions and that's hard so we're not going to do that uh, oh wait did i say that out loud <laughs> yeah, I <was> say. <laughs> yes you did um <laughs> I, I, I'm I, just really I, I know we harp on it quite a bit I know it's been brought up a number of times I'm just really leery about how they're going to handle promotion of that of the game and, oh, and the players they'll botch it they'll botch it because they'll try treating them like they treat NHL players and that won't work I mean obviously this is the who are the ringleaders of, of this walkout, this boycott for professional women's hockey? The same women who, like, staged the boycott for, what was it, world championships. <laughs> yeah. Who you are know? only introduced as members of national team programs and not, oh, what what are your other affiliations? What else are you doing beyond the, oh, you play for this one team? Right. So, I mean... You know, and it's it's a bunch of Americans who are looking around going, uh, we're not putting up with this, and so we're not going to do this until you change it. And who runs the NHL? Canadians who are expecting everyone to toe the line and, you know, talk the party line and and not bring attention to themselves. Well, that's not going to fly with a bunch of women who are willing to, like, stick their necks out and tell you no. Yeah. Yeah, like I sort of alluded to, I tweeted something along the lines of um, they're they're doing it not just for themselves, they're doing it more for the the future of the game, whereas the men would never do anything like this, right? Right. 
Well, and actually, I remember what I was going to say. The, the last episode was that, you know, the NHLPA came out with their really lame acknowledgement that this was going on. I can't even call it support. Um, there were comments from Ian Cole off of the Colorado Avalanche, and um, he was asked about what was going on with, with the women doing this. And um, so at least one team with one person representing the team has said that all of us in that dressing room support what these women are doing. Which is more than what the NHLPA had to say. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> well, once again, another organization that barely, you know, consults their constituents. It seems like it's run by a very small mind minor pool of the players which is really yeah i mean that's just really i don't want to say odd but it's just really disconcerting that there's i mean that almost shows a uh decided disconnect between the constituency or the or the membership of the players association and the people that are running it you know and it was sort of and it kind of goes counter to what we all saw on like the lockouts in in most cases you know it was a unified front you'd have an occasional player here and there as an individual make a stupid statement or a statement that was contrary to what the pa was putting out and then they'd be marched in front of press to walk back their initial statement and say they side with the the pa so uh, for the pa to come out with a non-statement statement and then have a player you know, basically confirm that his entire team was supportive of this and actually make a more supportive statement than the PA uh, says to me that the PA and its players might really be out of touch. Which does not bode well for the CBA in 2020. Nope. That's why I was a little surprised by what the NHLPA's statement was, was because... Um, Ian Cole, who was being interviewed, and I actually retweeted the the comments. I think um, he, uh, I, I believe, it was actually the same day that um, that the women announced that they weren't going to be a part of things. So, um, and I'm flipping through my feed right now trying to find it but so it's even worse because you know you have you have this NHLer who is saying my team supports them in all of this on the same day that the women are doing you know have announced that they're boycotting professional hockey in North America and then two days later the NHLPA comes out with this statement that yeah okay that's happening <laughs> you know <laughs> Women exist and they're doing something. That was yeah. effectively it. And they're not making a sandwiches, so we have no comment. Yeah, seriously. God. And all it would take is one comment from Crosby or McDavid, and it would completely turn the tide of things. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyone, any one of those echelon, upper echelon players, and it would become a little bit more. It almost, you know, it almost put pressure on the PA to make a more declarative statement. Yeah, but that's in hockey. You don't stick your neck out because your head might get lopped off. 
people don't do that. I wonder if this were happening immediately after, um, say, signing of a CBA, if it weren't two years out or, I guess, the end of next season, both parties can opt out. If we were beyond that threshold, would players be taking a different approach? Would they... Would they be campaigning for some sort of joint venture that the league and the players union have to agree, but they have access to funds to support different organizations? If there weren't a looming legal battle, would the Players Association be pushing for something that could essentially fund a league? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But Uh... I think... With the change, what what hopefully we're seeing is the change in the the players' mentality with this next group of RFAs. I'm hoping that's changing. And, and I it, mean, it, I, I think it is. So I found the tweets. It was actually Ian Cole was was specifically asked by an AP reporter, John Walro, um, about the women's hockey players pledging to sit out next season. And his comment, and, you know, again, this is on Twitter, and it was the same day the the women released their statement. He says, and I quote, it's great. They're the best in the world at what they do. They should be compensated accordingly. They want to be able to play a sport they love, and there's certainly a platform there that they're using and using it very, very well. Everyone in this locker room supports them. Having a sister, it's really important to do those things, unquote. Mic drop. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's almost exactly what the PA should have put out. Yep. So, and that is not what the PA put out. But you know, here you have. I mean, he's not a big name. You know, I mean, we're not talking Nathan McKinnon here or anything. Colorado being what it is, but um. But still, a player who's won a Stanley Cup saying, you know, we, we support the women, what they're doing, and agree with what they're trying to do. And everyone in the locker room here supports them. And, yeah, that should be, if not what the PA says, that should be what Crosby says, saying, I have a sister who, you know, hopefully will be playing professional hockey soon. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing this for her as well as for themselves, and I support them. I, I, yeah. Crosby's a whole different animal. I, I, I have an immense amount of, of sympathy for him because he's, he's that sort of first generation post Gretzky player. He saw the blowback on somebody like Lindros and what Lemieux went through. It was Lemieux. Lemieux is what, like, muzzled him, essentially. Yeah, and because, you know, don't say anything, don't do anything, don't be anything, and nothing, you know, you won't Lead on the ice and don't lead with your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Because if you you say anything that's, you know, going to rock the boat, somebody's going to fall out of it, and that's your fault. To which I'd say, well, sometimes people need to fall out of the boat because they were hanging on. Yep. So, so I'm, I'm in a bit of a nihilistic sort of <laughs> sarcastic mood the last few days. 
You must be an NHL fan. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I think I ate at Arby's. Um. <laughs> no, I, I think it was largely the Ken Holland news. <sighs> Has he signed with Edmonton? It is, it is not official as of Okay, this I didn't think recording. so. Yeah. It seems to be a foregone conclusion. Um, but it is not official. And while I think it's likely to happen based on when I, whenever Bob McKenzie says something, I'm fairly certain, it, you know, they're just dotting I's and crossing T's. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I think until he signs the dotted line, I, I'm not going to be certain because I think this is a situation where an individual has to make sure they have all the specifics written out for them on paper. On paper. Yeah, I think it's going to be. Are Are you talking specifics as in hierarchy? Who actually Hi- has? Yes, hierarchy. Who, who, or what? Basically, how can I keep Daryl Cates and the business side where all the ex players are out of my life? Like, or, or, can I get can I clean house on that side? Yeah. Well, I, I, and this is one of the more interesting things that I read is I think we might see Bob Nicholson inherit that authority, deserved or not, based on his track record the past four years. But it may, it may come one of the two of them need to have that hammer. Yeah, I, Somebody, yeah, somebody needs to clean house. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. As great as huge collaborative staffs are, theirs is definitely a case where they need to shrink the size of the organization before they can grow. Yeah. Governance by a committee is only as effective when the people that are, are part of the committee are effective. If it's all single individual mindset group think you're not going to get anything done yeah as as we see in toronto and some of the you know the post postmortem is written about the maple leafs and you hear quotes uh, from kyle dubas stating back to his days in sault saint marie talking about how you know okay great he has all this information but it's only as good as the you know the one person on the totem pole who's last to buy in to a philosophy a decision making model whatever it is so by you know looking back at edmonton unless they clean house they're never going to have everyone focused in this in a singular direction and that's what's held them back since you know 07 But what are all those those poor hockey men going to do? We'll be down to 100 hockey men. Why aren't you thinking about the hockey men, Pat? Oh, can't they just start their alumni association and put on games? 
or just sign autographs and make a million dollars a year. I'm told that's what former players get to do. And that's why it's so great to sign in Canadian cities. Mm. All of the marketing opportunities will make up for whatever the lack of, of salary you decide to take. Right. Yeah. You can give a hometown discount because you're going to make it up and, and, you know, all of the ads that you're going to get. And then, you know, all of the card signing deals because you will have paid for this. You will have played for this, you know, this regal franchise that will take care of you for the rest of your life. And you'll mm-hmm. be able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year signing hockey cards. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it makes me think of Mitch Marner and, and we're going to hear this story a lot. Cause apparently he's, a, he has so many endorsement and advertising deals presently that, you know, more than supplement his entry-level contract to this point. And when he's looking at making north of $10 million, well, make as much as you want, kid, because then maybe you can band together with a couple guys and buy a franchise one day. Yeah, pretty much. Which, I, we haven't seen that yet. I mean, obviously, Mario Lemieux was a completely different situation. Um. Trying same to with, save it, yeah. Yeah, same same with Gretzky to a certain respect, but but seeing a basically a NHLPA investment group go in and you know buy the Coyotes one day, or because how many of them would be living in Arizona otherwise? Well, quite a few of them. Yeah, because that's where the golf is. Yeah, and the good weather. Well, yeah, that's because, you know, the, For the golf. right, exactly. <laughs> and putting together some sort of entertainment and, and sports group, you know, seems they, like a pretty good investment for an untapped market. And they can still as hang around as, with the boys. They can still hang around with the boys. And as long as you hire the right pe- people and stay out of the way, you don't have any work to do and uh, you reap the benefits. See, that's the tricky part, hiring the right people and staying out of the way. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the former is the biggest issue because, I mean, so many, uh, you know, I would say the present players, I think fewer and fewer are going to go into management. Fewer and fewer are going to go into broadcasting. You know, yes, you're still going to see your backup goalies, you know, your shine on line. television. Your fourth liners will be the the analysts. Um, So it'll be. But what about those top line guys? Because they're going to get bored. And I think it would be a wise kind of post-career plan to get these guys thinking about this stuff now. Because I know in the NBA, you have all these superstars starting to think about they want to buy a franchise together. You know, the LeBron James of the world, you know, they they group together and form super teams. Now, all right, they want to invest in a franchise. And that just intrigues the heck out of me. Yeah, I, I think. Mean, it, sorry, go ahead. No, you, it's all you. No, I was going to say that the key word I think that's a misnomer is invest. Yeah. Yeah, because because. No one makes money off of sports franchises, or very few. Very few, yeah. I mean, you have to basically get it to a Dallas Cowboys, New York Yankees level, Toronto Maple Leaf level 
of popularity within that sport. Right. It it has to be one arm of a greater entertainment group. Yeah. Or it, or just a greater business plan. It, yeah. it gives you access to certain things. But this uh, is hockey we're talking about, and they can't see beyond the you know their skate laces most of the time. And see, I kind of disagree a little bit there. I think the this current generation and on are coming in at least in hockey. I'm starting. You're kind of seeing a different mindset with a lot of them. Yeah, that I will agree with. But until they're the players in control of the players' association, I'm I reserve the right to remain skeptical. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. I'll grant you that one hundred percent, and I'm probably on the same boat with you on that one. Until that, you know, same thing with with the NHL itself. Until that generation is cleared out, you know, we're not going to see what this generation has to bring and offer. And I say this as an over 40 white guy <laughs> you know <laughs> i i am basically the prime middle management age of the nhl but i completely acknowledge that i don't need there i don't i don't need to be my voice doesn't need to be heard in that scenario mm-hmm. even though i am what would be considered an outlier i'd be part chaos but no someone else needs to go in someone younger than me person of color or a woman whomever Someone who is not me. Just because that diversity. And it's diversity of ideas. It's not diversity of skin color. And it's diversity of ideas. And you don't get that by having the same archetype of person in that role. Well, and that's why they, they hired those people for that continuity. For that archetype. For, for things to stay the same. Because change is not something they're comfortable with, obviously. This is the NHL. Look at what they've done. Although when they do change, it's always head-scratching. Why? Why did you do that, though? It goes back to that, what I said last episode. It's it's when when there is change, it's, it's done at a glacial pace. Well, yeah, but sometimes they just do, like, the most random thing that you're just wondering where the heck out of left field and and you're like where did that come from and why did you decide to do that you know i mean every once in a while they get like a great idea like the uh um all-star weekend draft team draft (sighs) but those are few and far between god that was still one of the best yeah it was uh it was a fun uh spectacle to see like picking teams in <laughs> middle school gym class. <laughs> when when both sides are all hydrated. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh-huh. <laughs> With adult beverages. No, 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 no. They would never do that. Mm. Ever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could. Here's the thing. They could still do the draft. They just don't have to have everyone there present to do it. And I think all parties concerned, that would be the best solution. But, you know. Well, I, but then you don't I, get the reactions. Exactly. That's no, no. Yeah. It's it's not as a, a good of an event. It, it, it would only fill, you know, 30 minutes of television versus, you know, the two hours that the NHL has to, you know, they got to. 
they got to stretch things out as long as possible. Ugh. Thus, why they still have an award show. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, they could do like a 30 minute online presentation video thing and boom, we're done. Yeah. Well, speaking of online 30 minute presentation thing. And, and all-star games, you know, the one thing that still infuriates the living daylights out of me is they don't in any way, shape, or form, and this is, I know this is stupid, but they don't broadcast the mascot game. And, and Kids would love that. And that's exactly it, Cassie, as you sit there. I, I, I heard you I heard you chortling or snickering. Pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly why. It's It's not, you know, as we continue to say, the all-star game is not about us we're already hockey fans we you know and most of us know the players that are going to be there it's for the kids i mean my kid right now in his room has a poster of all well 28 mascots in the league it was prior to uh to gritty uh you know transcending humanity (laughs) the evilness that is gritty uh, gritty is all things to all men and women. He he is necessary evil. Yeah, I just hate mascots generally. Yeah. I get clowns bother people. I'm okay with clowns because you can actually see people's faces. I don't like mascots because you don't know who's there, or what they're thinking, or what they're doing, and and I just don't like it. <laughs> I find them creepy. And then mascot, and then and then gritty having like. All oh, this notoriety, I'm thinking, that's even creepier. <laughs> but hasn't it been nice since the end of the regular season? Pretty his pretty. presence, his presence is just diminished, and hopefully he'll. I would say just kind of scale back to a local attraction, and not. He'll- not be the national phenomenon or the international <laughs> phenomenon that he became because phenomenon sorry thank okay. you for that earworm <laughs> uh, gritty uh, gritty has done himself a disservice how's he going to top how's he going to top next season or how's he going to top last season you can't. There's only nope. one way down for Gritty. Yeah. You can only be the most popular thing in the league for so long until the next new thing comes along. Yep. And and it's it's always, you know, people love to build you up, and what's the next thing they love to do after they build you up? They're Tear you down. Damn right. Because you're too popular. <sighs> Not according to every hockey book my kids pick up, because I still see Wayne Gretzky in them, and they have no idea who he is. Oh, what well, I was reading um Friedman's twenty or thirty-one thoughts, his article, not the podcast. Apparently, stuck at the end, I think it was the thirty thirtieth or thirty-first item that he had listed. There are a number of guys coming into the league who have asked for the number to wear the number ninety-nine. And I love that. And not because, you know, they they're trying to like take on Wayne Gretzky's mantle, but because they just don't realize that the NHL had retired 99 for Gretzky. How how is someone supposed to know that? 
So I, I was like, like he, huh. he still needs to be held up and reserved as the, I'll even say it, the greatest player. Yeah, that's right. That the has greatest been. offensive player. Greatest player. Thank you. I, you know what? I will player, say he was a smart enough player. Had he been brought up, say, through the mid 2000s, if his career shifted 10 years, I think he could be just as good as Crosby has appeared to be basically sacrificing some offense for, you know, team defense. Mm -hmm. He was smart enough player. He could have done it. Uh He did. He could have stuck in the league if he didn't. I mean, during that time period. Exactly. It's like no one, there are very few players um, in the 2000s that were allowed to play without knowing how to be defensively responsible Um, as well. I mean, just pure offensive talent. I can't think of anybody, not really, without having to be able to play defense in some fashion. Gretzky didn't play defense. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. He didn't. Yes, he did. <laughs> Why was he on the penalty kill? It wasn't. It wasn't solely because it was an offensive threat. I don't he, know about that. He and Curry were out there on the penalty kill. Mm, take advantage of shorthanded situations. You weren't always going to get shorthanded situations, were you? Well, no, but and, and that's he what is, you put guys out there for. <laughs> he has always said that his offense has started from the defensive zone. Mm. He played yeah. defense. I don't know where people get that he didn't. Go watch some of the old games. He... I, have, I, I, watched the, I watched when he played. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't mm-hmm. terribly impressed <laughs> well, as a defenseman. I mean, well, offense, offensively, no. Now get, don't get me wrong. Offensively, he was very impressive. You're you're assessing his defensive prowess as a defense as a defenseman. Okay. No, no, I'm, I'm as as a forward as a center. I, as... as a center, I'm comparing him because at the same point in time that I was watching him, which granted was the last half of his career. Oh yeah, by then, forget it. Yes. Yeah, because um, I didn't start watching hockey until the early '90s, so you know I was judging him by say Sergei Fedorov. Oh, uh, yeah, let's judge him next to a Selkie. I know, right? (laughs) Okay, okay. Quite possibly the greatest two-way player prior to Bergeron. Uh, Are you kidding? Uh, Fedorov, I mean, I realize now how ridiculous it was, but Fedorov actually, the last part of his, last couple years of his career was playing defense part-time. Well, he played played D in Detroit a few times, too. Yeah. I mean, Bowman had him back there on the blue line a few times. Mm Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, yeah. That's like hold. It's like you know, comparing. Eh, I can't think of an analogy right now, so I'm just going to shut up. But <laughs> I was gonna. I was trying to come up with a cute. You know, it'd be like comparing somebody to Gretzky, who you know, really like comparing Paul Coffey to Wayne Gretzky. They're two different animals. Yeah. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying he was the world's greatest defensive player, but he was not Pavel Bure when it came to his own when it came to responsibility in his own zones. Uh, he he was not a cherry picker. He was not a cherry picker. His job was never to cherry pick. No, that no. was 
that was Curry's job. Curry just went to a space he knew because Gretzky had dropped down, get the puck from Randy Gregg or Charlie Huddy or someone, and then fire an absolute stupid pass to Curry who was gone. Or Anderson who was gone. Well, I mean, you know, it, it used to be back in the day, it used to be the the centers were both an extra defenseman and the playmaker. Yeah, they 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 did the whole full sheet of ice down the middle. But um, so yeah, I mean that's what Gretzky was doing as he was setting up plays. Yeah, there's a reason I, why he had like a million of million assists. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, yes, I mean the the quote unquote two hundred foot you know hockey player, the Jonathan Taves, you know who grinds behind his own net in his own zone, and then you know gets down in front of the net or grinds behind the offensive zone. You know, that's that's the archetype for a center, but that's... Long gone. People don't do that now. Well, some still do. I mean, some still play that way. And and it's... Crosby does play that way. Yeah, Crosby plays that way. And, you know, Tabe still plays that way. And some others still do, but... Guys younger than them usually don't, though. Yeah, because it tends to be more rotational. And, and I always go back to the funny thing that everyone berated Patrick Wall for playing man, man-to-man defense in his own zone. Because mm-hmm. that was a junior hockey tactic. And yet you're seeing quite a few teams actually start to employ that man-to-man. Because they've got the speed in their, they've got the speed to actually be able to pull it off. Whereas in the old days, it was zone was largely there because you were compensating for a lack of foot speed, either in your defense or in one of your forwards. But I digress or I regress. I don't know. It could be one or the other. (laughs) I'm Um, old and forgetful. (laughs) One foot in the grave, you're a dinosaur. I really am. Nah. Nah. So, I guess... Uh, so, I, I, if we're at that point, I have a question. Oh, I love Cassie questions. <laughs> <laughs> this one will be a fun one, because it's, it's going to be a, a ranty sort of answer, I think. So... My my uh my question to you both of you is what are so during broadcasts cuz you listen to them more than I do at this point what is the terminology that broadcasters use that annoys the heck out of you Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 podcast This has been the 3v3 podcast sponsored by Nobody.